welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to remind everyone to get signed up for the ABCA Virtual Convention January 6th through the 10th. You can do that at www.abca.org. We've been planning this event since June, and we are excited to get the event going. With our planning, we wanted to get the event as close as we could to the on-site convention. We just finished recording all 36 of our main stage and youth stage speakers here in Greensboro. It will be everything that you love about the on-site with main stage, youth stage, exhibit area, expo theater, and hot stoves. We have over 100 exhibitors signed up, so this will still be an opportunity for you to save on all your needs for your team or your facility. Please support those exhibitors that support us. They are the reason we are able to keep our dues and convention as the lowest of any association. There's so many great opportunities to grow as an educator during the convention. Anyone that signs up will have all the videos in their account a week after the event. The convention area will also be open for six months after the event, so that's a huge plus. Feel free to reach out to me at rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or via the MyABCA app if you have any questions on the convention. This will be something you want to experience firsthand. We're using the hashtag, hashtag in the front row right now. If that's something you like, let me know. As always, thanks for listening to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is world champion Los Angeles Dodgers catching coordinator Ryan Sienko. Coach Sienko is entering his third season as the Dodgers catching coordinator. He was the Dodgers assistant catching coordinator starting in January 2015. He's also the founder of Catch and Throw, which has been providing quality catching instruction since 2005. Prior to working with the Dodgers, Ryan was an associate scout for the Baltimore Orioles and director of operations for the National Pitching Association with legendary coach Tom House. He also has high school coaching experience at Torrey Pines and Canyon Crest Academy. Ryan gives us great advice on how to be patient in the development process. We get another great endorsement for the virtual clinic as Coach Sianco will be on the Catching Hot Stove panel. This is another pen pad ready episode as we get an inside look at what makes the world champion Dodgers organization so special. Coach Sianco was on the ground floor of the new management team that laid the foundation to get the Dodgers organization back to winning championships. Let's welcome Ryan Sianco to the podcast. Here with Ryan Sianco, catching coordinator with the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, catch and throw founder, uh, former Iowa Hawkeye baseball player. So Ryan, thanks for coming on with me. Thanks for having me, buddy. We go we go way back. I love talking to guys that I've known for a long time. And um, first, congrats on the World Series championship. Thanks. Those guys did a heck of a job, didn't they? Yeah. What do you feel like the Dodgers organization does really well that would help an amateur organization? Uh, I think it's just the culture that has been created and now sustained, right? Um, as far as staff goes, uh, I think they vet people and press people to find the right people. Um, so it's been really awesome to be a part of that. Um, you know, I got in 2015 kind of with the, the regime change and uh, have seen it grow. I mean, there was obviously already a culture here, but um, to see it grow like it has, uh, you know, from Gabe Kapler kind of starting this thing and, um, you know, it, it's kind of evolved because we have so many people come and go, um, you know, just, just over the years. Uh, now with uh, with Will Rhymes kind of writing our our minor league ship, uh, it's been awesome. I had a, a former player that signed with you guys, free agent, and I was big on the nutrition and that side of it. And that was the first thing that he wanted to talk to me about was how well you guys were feeding your minor leaguers. Yeah, they, they've. I mean, again, kind of back in '15 when all that got started, it was an all organic diet and. Um, you know, at every affiliate. So these guys, you know, while other teams are having hot dogs and leftover pizza, they're getting, you know, cheese plates and sa smoked salmon and steaks and rookie ball. Like, 
you know, to feed the athletes obviously is a huge cost, but uh, the organization, you know, especially at that time, uh, uh, dove all in and see how the guys can recover, that we see how monitoring their sleep can help, you know, all the things off the field that they, uh, that they're given, um, you know, all the supplements and all the vitamins and, you know, you just keep going on. I think all of that stuff shows up uh, to a well-prepared athlete to then go and, and compete. Well, and it saves you money in the long run. You know, you look at the, the front end cost of that, but as an organization or as a university, if you do it right, guys aren't going to get hurt as much. And if you save on surgery costs, it, it's a lot more expensive for somebody to have surgery than it is to feed them right. Yeah, being proactive rather than reactive, I think in anything, any program that you have um, is going to help in the long run. It's it's it just all depends, I think, in your your long and short term goals for a program or or for uh, you know like our player development side. The vetting process. Talk about the hiring process. I mean, what is different about the vetting process? Well, I I know what people have to go through here. It's it's like a pretty vigorous like i don't know there's questionnaires there's multiple interviews there's group interviews there's all kinds of things like mine was probably over a month uh gabe and i did it with cap at that time and um i mean i presented basically to our a group of our minor league catchers at the winter development um i don't know what you call it, just a winter development program at dodger stadium in like the very beginning of, uh, 2015, but it was like a month long process to get to that. Uh, and it was not necessarily that easy, but it's certainly worth it in the long run. What do you feel like coaches are doing a better job of now than they have in the past? And this is baseball overall. Mm, that's a great question. I, I mean, I, I get, I, I can only really speak of what we do here because I'm out of touch with what other really don't care what others are doing, you know, in, in a way, but um, the knowledge, the inner community, you know, personal communication skills, I think that has taken greater steps in the last few years than probably anything else. What do you feel like coaches need to do a better job of? Same, the exact same things. It, it's, I think all, it's crazy, all isn't knows. it? That's um, yeah. Joel Mangrum and I were together and, we talked about the communication piece and I always use Tony Dungy as an example because Tony Dungy, you know, they asked him what he felt like his biggest strength was and he said communication. And then they asked him what he felt like he needed to work on the most. And he said communication. So it just, and I think he is one of the best ever that there's a guy who's maybe one of the best ever at communicating with his athletes that still felt like he needed to get better at communicating with his athletes. The kids, the athletes, right. They're, they're changing, right? I exchanged a text and a phone call with, with, you know, my best buddy who uh, was upset about how like the lack of communication and the skill to like hold a conversation or give feedback that athletes have with him right now. And um, I, I can't, can't agree more. You know, the, 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 the guys have to be able to communicate along. I mean, from athlete to coach and then obviously then getting it back but just to get into a school or be recruited if they can't hold a conversation with you why would you want a part of you know why would you want that person to be a part of your program if you have the standards you know of wanting more from a kid i would be in our classroom sessions with our guys and be like guys confrontation is okay like you have to be okay with, with speaking your mind and confrontation is okay. And it's okay to get into arguments with people. That's actually healthy if you handle it right. And you're not mortal enemies. If you don't agree with somebody on something, there's ways to handle this, but you know, with the technology that's out there now, kids don't have to, to do the interpersonal communication piece of it. They don't no, have I'm, to. It's a huge piece of like with what we work with, with our catchers. I mean, we have them figure out elevator speeches. We have them, uh, we train them to speak in public. 
Uh, we train them to uh, have one-on-one hard conversations or somewhat play the game, you know, with people. And, you know, when you're dealing with the pitching staff, which is the whole point of what the catchers have to deal with is, is to serve that pitching staff. If they can't communicate what they want to get across or say they're not able to, you know, find a common ground with someone, they're going to lose them. And, and, you know, with our guys, especially, you don't want to lose the pitchers. I mean, it's the, it's the lifeline of your organization. So, um, you know, that, that piece, that communication piece, although it was hard to initially identify for myself, um, I always thought it was easy just to go fix things. And, you know, that's the, honestly, that's the easiest piece. The harder piece was to create the relationships and have the open lines of communication with the guys. Once we were able to get there um, and earn the trust of the, of the player, then you have a chance to make an actual impact. Until then, you're just you're flipping coins the whole time as far as I'm concerned. How can an amateur coach help? Because that, that was one of my questions. Like, what can an amateur coaches do a better job of to obviously get them ready for, you know, it might be college, might be pro, that's probably the biggest thing that they could help kids with is communicating better and also handling the the confrontational piece. Are there any actionable things that maybe an amateur coach can do to help their athletes push through that? I think it's tough for amateur coaches, right? Especially at the college level where you have time constraints. Um, that's the luxury that in professional baseball we have. We have time. We have years, you know. You sign a new player at 16 and in – you know, a Latin American country, you don't need him to be great until he's 22, 23, maybe even 25. Like you don't know, you have as much time as needed. Although you like to push and keep that, you know, that train moving, but we have time to learn people, learn their families, learn, you know, all of the, those pieces where a coach, um, whether you're, you know, a travel ball coach, I mean, I coached high school, so I understand that you have there with dealing with these 14 to 17-year-old kids, uh, you still have to, to push them, you know, in the written word, in the verbal words. Like, we've got to be able to um, somehow set a standard for them and give them uh, reasons why this is important. I think that's the toughest part is, like, you need to be able to communicate because you have to talk to your coach. Well, if I'm good, I, I don't, they're going to play me anyways. And I think there, there's the, you know, that piece. When you get to a certain level, though, that maxes out. And then you have other people who are good, strong communicators will then kind of just railroad you that way. So I think uh, it's one of those things like all the th- things that your dad and your, your mom told you when your kids and now true that you didn't believe it's the same thing. I, 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 we just have to somehow not trick the guys into it but show them the value uh, immediately. And, and for, for, you know, our guys in particular, that is being able to communicate, being able to write, being able to um, convey their thoughts quickly, right? If they can't get it on paper or they can't say it in, in a 20 seconds and now we have problems in there. And that goes both ways with English and Spanish and, um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we could do better as far as the language barriers, um, but then you go into nonverbal, right, with body language and uh, just your actions. And, um, you know, some guys talk too much and no one hears their voice and some guys don't talk enough and no one hears their voice. So I think you know, all those pieces kind of go hand in hand. You've been on the pro side since 2015. If you had to go back to the amateur side, what would you bring back with you that you didn't have the first go around on the amateur side from the pro side? Patience. So much more patience. I see the game. Being a coordinator, especially to where I don't have a particular team, right? Um, that gives you tons of patience. Uh, I see the game very differently than I did my whole life basically so uh, i think patience is a huge huge piece that we can all learn you know as coaches like yes this game was important and i understand that in shortened 
seasons, especially every game is important. And we saw that this year um, in major league baseball. And then when you get into the playoffs, but uh, you have to be able to like, understand the game is hard and the guys are trying no matter what. And, and I think that that patience piece, I think we all, if you can kind of look back and you see the coaches that you really admired, they probably had a little bit more patience than, than us. And I, I think, uh, yeah, like patience and communication um, and understanding that things take time. Uh, that w- those would probably be the things that I would, I would do, although I would never go back to coaching high school. <laughs> I I give the high school coaches a lot of credit. I always have. I always will. I think they have the hardest job. I know the junior college yes. coaches will tell tell you they have the hardest job, which they have some different challenges. The uh, high school coaches sure. have the the hardest job. They do. It's the, the toughest parents. Job. Yes. Yep. For sure, and that can be a positive what, what, and a negative. What's crazy is, yeah, exactly. Now I have a relationship with some of the parents of our players. Um, and it's a completely different, right? It's all a supportive, um, relationship. And I know that the guys don't necessarily always communicate with their parents. So sometimes letting the parent know, um, you know, their support system that they don't always communicate with, you know, giving them a little bit of a heads up that things are okay, or, um, you know, maybe you need to check on them. Those small things. I think that all is part of the package of, you know, dealing with people. With the big league squad, did you guys have to talk to them about the shorter season or was it just, Hey, we're going to go out and play like we normally do. I honestly, I don't know. Uh, I was here in Arizona. I didn't go into the bubble. Um, I handled some of the rehab, me and a couple other guys handled some of the rehabs uh, from the COVID and then got guys ready to go back into the bubble uh, here in Arizona. So there was probably a group of, I mean, with medical and everything, like 10, 10 people that we had guys in and out. Everything I did to help at all with them was all remote this year. Um, and then we got into the World Series and there was some advance and umpires. And I took care of, or not took care of, but offered opinions on the umpires and the, the other catchers uh, and then how, Cause that makes a they difference, right? I mean, the umpires, even though they have the, the zones are going to be different, correct? I mean, so you have to prep for those drastically. Guys. Yeah. Drastically. And then you try to match up with our pitchers and our catchers. And then, um, knowing what, you know, the other catchers and their pitchers, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was, it was enlightening to see some of that because there, there were a lot of, um, differences with each, each game. And seeing how a pitcher will match up to an umpire and then how Barnsley and, and Will would match up with them. And then, you know, on the other side, uh, when it was Nino and their guys, uh, it was kind of neat to, to see. And then, you know, studying all the tendencies of especially their catchers. Uh, so like the balls in the dirt, and you know, if they're tipping in any way, so. I love how deep that goes because that's just the next layer of scouting report stuff, which is is awesome to get get that yeah, insight. Think, it's awesome. I mean, if you anybody who has access to video, you can if you just study the catchers of the other team, uh, you can learn a lot because they tip they tip probably more than pitchers ever will um, with depth and angles and setups and their timing and and whatnot. But then also, uh, I really like to watch balls in the dirt and uh, how they throw because when you get into you know those short seasons of, of the playoffs you've got to be ready for that and everyone runs more and they all of a sudden people who've never thought about taking the ball in the dirt are taking bases like crazy so yes the receiving piece is huge yes the umpire and the zone are huge but like all those other intangibles as we saw in not only our series but other ones but like you saw how guys took bases like crazy and they're hyper aggressive all of a sudden uh, because every base or, or run at that matter is like crazy, you know, essential. Yeah. I loved it. I loved the short season and I loved playoffs. Just for me, that's, that's pure baseball. That's the way baseball is supposed to be played. Yeah. I thought, I thought they handled the, the short season, I think showcased how, 
when you are in a sprint, like the magnitude of every game matters a little bit more. I think this is as close to uh, uh, college season. You know, if you see it at the, the highest level, this is about the equivalent of how, you know, two game, three game losing streaks can affect your whole season and then your general health. Um, and, you know, with the pandemic and everything, like, that was definitely magnified. And it was cool to see how, like, Miami was able to bounce back with their guys using, like, I don't, it was some absurd amount of players. I think it was like 15 guys that they hadn't planned on using that they, they were yeah. picking up. It was like a garage sale. They're picking up guys left and right. I mean, that's a testament to their, to their people. Cause to, to get, to keep everybody on the field the best they could. And then for them to manage all of those moving pieces had to be like exhausting. Um, and then when you get into the, the, that extra layer of playoffs this year, that three game set, like, matching up your pitching and matching up your, your matchups, you know, to, to the other team and being ready. Uh, I think it was the closest thing we'll ever see. Hopefully we'll ever see like to an amateur season um, on the pro side. And it, when they played at that level, man, that was pretty intense. Yeah. It's good stuff. And, and seeing how those guys reacted, um, to that was was pretty cool because they they kicked butt. Your time with NPA and Tom House, what has that mm-hmm. helped with the catching side of things? It's everything. So, what I learned from Tom in those ten years or whatever, however long it was, uh, shaped me. Number one as a coach because I see it slightly different. Um, taught me tech. Taught me how to use. Um, you know, being able to look at an athlete more from a biomechanical setup rather than just a performance uh, and then understanding how the body works around that. I mean, certainly helps us with the catchers because we talk so much about how their body sets up and then absorbing the forces of the pitches and then crafting it for the umpire. Uh, I went back for instructs. I umpired a lot of the games. Uh, so I got another perspective on how our guys like the timing of their setups, their presentation of the pitches, everything. Uh, that was, it was huge. I, I got smoked a few times, but it was worth it. Right. Um, uh, it, it's incredible to see. I mean, I know the speeds these guys throw and I know that the pro the movement profiles are insane, but when you're back there having to make decisions on pitches and these guys, these hitters, I mean, they're fighting too. So, uh, it is not an easy job, number one. So you should probably all give our players a little bit of a break. But number two, um, to see how the guys did their moves and then be able to then go talk to our performance group, talk to the catchers, um, talk with medical to see if there's anything that we can help these guys get better at because now I can see it from a slightly different – you know, it's not just sitting in the bullpen or sitting behind them when the machine's going. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, everyone's throwing 95 to 98 with like crazy movement. So now the ball's doing all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, just was a way better perspective on, on the game for me personally. Yeah. When guy would, would start belly aching about the umpires, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to make you get back there and, and see if you can call every pitch a strike. That's supposed to be a strike and every pitch a ball that's supposed to be a ball. You're going to see, it's not that easy. And you know, when you talk about the, the seeing the difference when, you know, four years ago, we had a senior catcher that was tinkering around with the one knee stuff. And I was like, hey, I'm just going to get back there and call strikes for a while and see if the, it made a difference. And that's when I was sold on the presentation of the low pitch with what guys are doing now, because I mm-hmm. just I was like, we're going to get more strikes down there that, that the umpire can't see. Well, they can see it now. Yeah, I think I mean, I knew the bottom was probably the easiest place to get, you know, the, some play in it. Um Absolutely. That was the toughest pitch uh, that I, that I had actually like away from lefties was really hard because where you're in the slot. So if the guys were good down and over there, um, those are really hard pitches to, I would say those are the ones that I probably messed up a little bit more. Um, The sides weren't as hard as I thought. uh, Mostly because no one throws away to right-handed hitters anymore. They all throw middle or middle in because they all throw a hundred. So like that was, that was enlightening too. Like you see it from the side or you watch on video and you're picking, choosing pitches. You don't really necessarily see it, but there was times where I wouldn't see a fastball away for, you know, 
both teams and it'd be 350 pitches of the day. And it's, you know, it'd be sliders and power stuff, but not like located fastball away. So I think it opened my eyes to, to, you know, what we're doing as a group. And then also uh, seeing, we played the Padres and the White Sox quite a bit and to see some of their power arms and the stuff that's coming out of there, man, that's, I don't know how hitters ever get a hit, honestly. You talked a little bit about the the catcher play pitcher relationship, and I mean, I, you look the Cy Young, both Cy Young winners, their catchers were the Gold Glove winners. So, can you just dive in a little bit more, just some of the meetings you're having with the catchers to help them with the relationships that they have with the pitchers? Well, we use our we have a our strong mind department with uh, AJ Lalonde and um, Leo Ruiz, and those guys do a really great job with the catchers. Uh, the you know, they're the ones that are putting them through the rigors of public speaking. They're the ones that are taking them. Uh, and I don't, you know, lack of a better word, like some mind games to work with guys. Right. Um, and then we tried to stress human touch. We tried to stress um, eye contact, you know, all again, those nonverbal things, their body language, how to use their voice, when to use their voice. Um you know, all of those little pieces, I think, add up to what we want. And then there's always new challenges, right? Um, it can be as much as a disagreement that's turned into a confrontation or a lack of communication that's manifested into, a, you know, a seventh grade girl fight. Like, those are the kind of things that we, you know, fighting until athletes turn exactly the same, which I don't think will ever happen. Did you get much instructs in then? I mean, once the, the season was done, I mean, when did you guys get started? Were you able to, to bring guys um, back then that hadn't done much this summer? Yeah, so we had uh, – we played – I think it was 29 games we played. I have the list here. But we played 29 games. Uh, I think it was scheduled for 32 or something like that, and we had a couple – we had a, we had to, like, move a couple days around because um, of testing and whatnot. But uh, – we had uh, seven catchers, I believe, came in. I think it was seven. Um, so, yeah, we got to see quite a few of the guys. Only one of those seven was in the the in the player pool during the season. So, um, you know, that was – it was great to get them work, great to get very kind of specialized work. I mean, seven instead of 20, you know, you can always get a lot more done. Our field coordinator, Clayton McCullough, who's – now uh, it's with the major league team now, but uh, he has always been great with giving us time with the catchers. So the catchers have their own dedicated hitting time. Then we had a, we'd always have a, a large uh, session with them every day. So we never, you know, opposite of what most have, we, we had tons of time with the guys and um, you know, again, with going back behind the plate, there was times I could talk to the guys about, maybe what they should be saying or, you know, not necessarily the game planning. That's their own thing. Uh, we can review that later, but, you know, communicating on the field, kick a couple guys to go take a visit, you know, kind of thing. Um, I think those are just all of the learning process and, and instructs went great as far as uh, our growth from our, our younger catchers. Did you feel like guys were behind it all, even though they had been out of it for a little bit? Did you feel like they were behind? Yeah, it? The pitchers were way ahead. Hitter, hitters were so far behind. I mean, taking six months off and then having to come and face, you know, a, a new pitcher every other inning and and huge velocity and movement. Um, yeah, they were definitely behind. How were those uh, conversations? I mean, because you gotta you gotta probably work some kid gloves there a little bit, right? Just because, hey, dude, yeah. you haven't seen a, a ball thrown at you in six months. Like it's gonna look a little bit rough. Yeah, we just again, there's patience, right? Um, with patience come in time and you, you know, that it's going to be okay. Right. There's, there's certain, you know, it's one of our guys who described uh, this is a sprint until next year. And then we're going to, you know, we got to get them ready to go play. And then once we get to next year, then we can play the long game. Then it becomes the marathon. Um, and with others, it's just, you're doing fine to stay right there. And there were times at near the end of camp where, uh, I was like two or three of the guys would come in for work and I'd make them do like one or two sets of whatever they're doing. And I'm like, go, oh, I don't want you to mess this up. There's no reason to mess this up right now. You know? And I think it's just like the, 
the understanding that smarter, not harder kind of theory uh, that we can mess up a guy by trying to do more when at the end of this year, let's just keep, you know wrap it up, put a nice little bow on it, and then we'll start fresh again rather than like trying to reinvent something. So the, that patience piece comes into play huge in the development as far as uh, what I, what I see with our guys. Uh, Cause if we don't, if we react all the time, um, man, we could get in a lot of trouble and go down a lot of dirty, dirty highways, you know? What does active recovery look like for those guys right now? And guys have been gone uh, for a little bit. What's it look like for them right now? I mean, most of the guys are shut down right now. Uh, there's a few guys that have, I didn't, I actually just texted with all the catchers the other day and, uh, you know, some of them are working, some of them are, you know, our Venezuelan guys just got to go home. I expect them to do nothing for a while. Uh, they were the group of Venezuelan catchers that we had here. I think they all got here January 15th and were stuck in Phoenix, um, until November, whatever it was, sixth. I think that's when we ended. So, um, man, that's a long time to be away from your family. Yeah. And you know, they couldn't get back home. So, you know, they were working out, they were, we did as much as we could with them, you know, especially with all the guidelines that we had to uh, follow, but I would expect they're having a great time at home right now, you know, and and I hope that they're not doing anything. And then if they come back again, the one thing you can say about, I think all catchers, but certainly our group is that they're not lazy. You know, they, they do their work and they've earned their stripes to uh, take a little time for themselves. Um, we'll get the work in when it's, you know, it's time. Catchers were always my favorite. They were always bullpen catchers. I didn't care. Like anybody that put the gear on, like they've, they've always yeah. been my favorite. It's just it's hard to, it, it pains me when people say that a catcher is lazy. Like <laughs> if you sat and watched, what they have to go through just to get through a day times months times, you know, with a lot of guys years, like there's nothing lazy about that. They might not be great, you know, and that's okay. But lazy is not the word. And and it drives me crazy when I hear somebody say that the catcher is lazy. It's just like, you didn't see what he just did today. Yes. You know, he might make a, a bad move, but so does the shortstop or the outfielder that doesn't hit a cutoff man. Like, well, it magnifies it back there because they yeah. every ball they're, they're in on every play, which is why I love the position because you're in on every yeah. play. But if you check out that one time, like it's, it's going to show up, but you got a ton of opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. What about youth catchers right now? I mean, there's so much new stuff going on. What should youth catchers be focusing on right now? Everything. You know, I, I think a youth catcher that can have a personality that can get the respect of, of their teammates is huge. Um, the receiving, obviously, you know, until the electronic zone comes into play, like that's going to be huge. And, um, you know, the throwing, the blocking, I think needs to be worked on a ton, like not ignored. Uh, I, I do have a problem with, with people saying that the blocking and throwing don't matter um, because it does, you know, it does when it does, it needs to be like, if you don't block a ball and that run scores in the world series, you might lose. Um, So I I have a, I think that they need to become as well-rounded as possible. Uh, These guys are good. And to be a major league catcher, man, you have to be really good. Who is your favorite coach when you're playing? Uh, I don't know if I really ever had a favorite coach. I think I learned a lot from all of my coaches, both good and bad. Right. Um, I took some of the hard hardness of Dwayne Banks, right. At Iowa. And, and, uh, then like coach Banks off the field, right. Who, who's the gentlest, kindest guy you ever met. And then, you know, you play for so many different people my high school coach, Terry Shaber, or a good friend of mine, Matt Noakes, I played with, and then he was the manager. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can, I, I think I learned a lot more from my teammates now, you know, a guy like John Shoemaker, who's been with the Dodgers for 40 something years. 
knows everything about everything, you know, and uh, Travis Barbary, who I work with, I, his son is now with us and Trav and I did the catching for a few years. He's now a triple A manager and like how he creates relationships with guys is unbelievable. You know, I, I, I hope someday I can, you know, have those kind of great relationships with the players that uh, are genuine for sure. So I, I think you just, I like to pick and choose from as many people, people as possible. And what's been great here, you know, kind of goes both ways is the amount of turnover. So we get exposed to so many different people, you know, and a guy like uh, David Mayshore, who used to be our hitting coordinator and outfield base running. Like he taught me a lot in my first couple of years when I was here, a ton, uh, wouldn't take credit for any of it. He just taught me how to do certain things. And, you know, I think as long as we're just completely evolving all the time, then I think, you can become this well-rounded coach. It just takes time. Are you finding inspiration from outside baseball? Um, you know, I, I see, you know, again, it, it comes down to like communication and, and um, relationships. So I see how some people um, deal with their work environment or, um, you know, how other sports uh, a good friend of mine, his, his father-in-law is the GM of the Sharks and um, like hearing how they run their business. And so, you know, uh, there's very different moves that they make in hearing how other athletes, I love listening to other athletes and how they talk about leadership, or how they talk about um, they, how they go about their day, you know, in different sports, even though it's not even close to being parallel with playing once a week in the NFL or playing, six straight months in baseball, like without physical contact, obviously. So I think you just, again, I like to pick and choose from all over the place, whether it be reading a book or watching a documentary or, you know, all those kind of things. Do you have a fail forward moment along the way, something that maybe you thought was going to set you back, but looking, looking back now is one of the best thing that's ever happened to you. Uh, I kind of like to just live in the moment. So like, Everything I've done in my past, I think, has shaped me to today. So I don't look at anything being like really harsh or I remember being released for the first time. I didn't want that feeling ever again. So I think I have like an understanding of how these guys feel. Like I've had to sit in on some of those meetings when guys get released or, you know, you're talking to guys whose careers might be ending. And I think you have a little more, you know, you experience and some empathy in there, some sympathy. So I think all of those little nuggets throughout the, the way have helped. So, I mean, luckily I've never had too many real jobs, like outside of being a baseball player and then a coach and, and doing this. So I, obviously I feel more comfortable in this setting, but also like hearing how uh, you know, a friend of mine's a high school football coach and how he's dealing with stuff and hearing, you know, how, how he's addressing these young men and I'm, shoot, I'm working with somewhat of the same age bracket, you know, uh, with these these younger kids, especially uh, that come out of the, the Latin American country, so you know I'm I'm learning as we go. I st- I still can't get a, get into like the video game stuff, but I, but at least I know what they're called, you know. I, and I was a gamer, like I was, like I would drive my I'd ride my bike to the arcade. I paid for a uh, you know a Nintendo. I had a paper route. I saved up money for a Nintendo. My son's got a. He's got an Xbox. He's honest to get the new Xbox, but I don't think that's going to happen. But I just, I, the game Dying Light, this game came out like probably six, seven years ago when we first got the Xbox and I played it and it took me like two months to beat it. But then after that, I was like, I will never invest that sort of time ever again to do anything like that. And I guess at that point it was like set up that way where it took you a long time to beat it. But the players at Western couldn't believe that I beat that game. But I was like, I can't, I can't play that game or anything like it ever again, because I'll get sucked into it and then I'll lose all track of time. So like, I was like, that's it. Yeah. I, I, I did. Yeah, I agree. It's just, well, especially when you have a family for goodness sakes, there's not exactly a multitude of time. No, time is not necessarily something that's on my side there. Do you have any routines, morning or evening routines that you like that you feel like help you stay on top of things? Uh, my morning stuff, I just do like a little meditation. Um, try to read 
not the best at that always, um, especially on the days that I get to go golf. Uh, well, that, I mean, that's that's a routine too. I mean, I use golf as a mental release. I know some guys don't yeah. use golf as that, but for me, golf was a mental health. I don't get to play very much, but I used golf as mental health time to be able to check out and and enjoy the the, the round and enjoy the walk. I, you know, we we use it here. Uh, a lot of us golf, so um, we get a lot done. You know, it's it's not only a social thing. Uh, it, there's a lot of really good talk. And not necessarily decisions, but certainly bounce back um, between us. And, and I mean, we have a we just celebrated opening offseason golf day the other day with a group of our guys. And, uh, um, you know, and I play with my boss quite a bit. So, like, we, we get a lot of great things done, you know, on the golf course and we get to have a little fun. So that's a huge thing for me, a big release. I wish I was better. But I do too. I, think we all I do. mean, it's come a long way from when I first started because I I would get so frustrated early that I just I would have a hard time finishing eighteen holes. But I play you know with my dad quite a bit when we get an opportunity, mm-hmm. and it has my drive especially has come a, a long way, light years from when I first started. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I, COVID I, wasn't great for my golf game, but uh, it's, it's coming back. I played so much, and it was just so bad. <laughs> do you, hey do you have to have a social media presence to get a job now do you have to have a social media presence i would say yes yeah. i think you have to have a very careful social media presence um i think it goes for athletes and coaches i know i mean i've i've, uh, I've helped our scouting department and we'll go see the, the catchers for the draft not i mean that's one of the things i look at when i'm you know, i want to know who they are uh to I mean, I don't, I'm not a scout. I just have the way that I look at the player and write a report, but I definitely check that. Um, it sure seems like as a coach, the more that you can put your, basically your resume on your social media account, I think it helps. I do because it's a way for people to see it. You know, a website necessarily, probably not, but uh, being really good at Photoshop and, you know, being able to cut up a, a, a video and then putting it on Instagram or, or uh, Twitter, I think it does help. I don't see how it, it doesn't. I I have a hard time doing it now the longer I've done this because, uh, one, I don't like to put our guys into videos, so I don't have a ton of time to, to do it. But um, And I certainly don't like putting bad videos of others, right? That, that, doesn't always weigh great with me. So, um, because I do respect what all these guys do and how hard their job is. Uh, but I think being able to, to showcase your knowledge base, especially with the use of TrackMan, RepSoto, uh, I don't even know all the stuff. You know, there's so many different Edutronic. And, well, um, if you can do it, it can't hurt. Yeah. You know, and uh, I know that we're expecting our staff members here um, to be able to use it. And um, if you can put it together and you can set it up and tear it down and then, you know, not have to use the bandwidth of someone else to get that information out, man, it makes you a lot more valuable. And if you can speak Spanish while you do that, you are a, you know, your unicorn of some sort. Yeah. I get it. And I, I've had that in my list of questions for a long time and it's the first time I've asked it because I just I want I like getting guys takes on that but I, it is to be able to showcase your skills. I mean that that's a way to showcase the skills that you have and and if you have a unique skill set it's a way to to showcase your unique skill set. Yeah. For sure and, it, and it's not about just your opinion um or your value system. It's I mean everyone's opinion and value system can be I don't think they have to be the same, but you, you certainly can f- fall into the guidelines of which a organization or college or, you know, any job can, uh, that might ask for. So, I mean, the more you can put yourself in those situations, be around as many athletes as possible, learn as much, and then create as much of a database as possible. I, I don't see how it could hurt you. 
uh, it's only going to be something that you can draw from later. So somehow in our own, you know, Rolodex in our head, there there is a comp to almost everyone and there is a way that you can take something you've worked with um, with one player and apply it to another player. Uh, I know I, I certainly do that all the time. And it's tough. Some guys, the guys don't necessarily always want to be compared to someone else, but they understand or they can then talk to that individual. If you can pull up a name and have a contact, sometimes, you know, if we get out of out of the way of the athlete, shoot, that that helps. So if you have a big Rolodex of players and a big Rolodex of data and a big Rolodex of trial and error, I think it is only going to make you a better coach. You know, staying as much as it, I would love to have been in one spot my entire life, like coaching just one singular path, I don't think that really creates enough for you when things go a little awry. Yep. I, I love that you're still talking about using comps and I just felt like that was a way to help guys. If, especially if you're going to maybe ask a guy to make an adjustment, um, that, Hey, I I do really feel like this is going to help you. And here's some guys that are actually doing it the way that, that I maybe think will help you. And here's some examples of guys that are doing it that way. It's tough. You know, uh, like I remember asking a kid, uh, to switch positions to, to catch, uh, when I was a high school coach. And um, I had to pull some comps out to like truly, you know, show him. And then, then he took off and, you know, had a great college career and got drafted as a catcher. Just, you know, he wasn't going to be a shortstop. And there, w- there was no way that that was going to, like, you could get into college, but then you're going to have to fight. And eventually you're going to probably end up back there anyways. Why don't we do it now? And it was cool to see uh, how, he's, how he's taken that and, and gone. My favorite memory of the convention last year in Nashville was when I actually got to see you because the convention was over with. So I actually got to take a a breath because it was finally done. And I do want to talk about the virtual convention because you're helping with the catching hot stove, which thank you again for that. And just talk a little bit about maybe, I don't even know how much you and Jerry have talked about what you're going to do, but can you talk a little bit maybe what people can expect? Because it's amazing how many pro guys we have that are coming to the virtual that are helping out. Um, You know, can you just talk about the ABCA and then also the virtual a little bit? Well, yeah, I like I think I've told you the first one I went to was like in 93 um, when it was in Chicago. I think it was 93 in Chicago. And, uh, you know, I've kind of been hooked ever since. I didn't always make it to the conventions and my membership probably wasn't paid every year. But um, now like, I see huge benefit to what the convention itself offers from not only networking you know, it's also very social. You get to see people that you don't normally get to see, or but you certainly know. Um, and like, like when you came over to my room at the end there, just hanging out for a few minutes and catching back up, uh, that's huge. Uh, again, can't hurt, right? In your, uh, in your networking and in your Rolodex of things again. Uh, ABCA itself, I think, just creates such an open atmosphere for people to learn. Um, and doesn't allow us to be stagnant, you know? And, and I think that's a huge thing for any coach. Um, Cause you can always spin yourself in circles in your own, in your own mess, but being open to hear other people. And um, you know, like I was looking forward to, to seeing Charlie talk this year. Um, I've and Zach Stout's going to do well too. Zach, my, Zach Stout's yeah, coming in. Yeah. He's doing the youth catching portion. He did a phenomenal job. His and he and you know it's the same stuff you guys are teaching, but he actually it's going to help the youth coaches that watch it because he's got some really good insights of how to let a young player figure out some things for themselves. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of value to his talk as well. And Charlie's was great. Uh, Scott Strickland's one of our other p- uh, catching presentations, like the the catching presentations this year are going to be solid. But then you throw in guys like you at the hot stove stuff, like it's going to be wild. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, I had, I had a really good time at the hot stove last year. I mean, you get to kind of speak your mind, you know, and uh, it didn't, it wasn't exactly the, uh, it wasn't always like the most PC questions and everything. So I, I think it's a great way to, you know, and I don't know everybody that's on the panel. I, I've only seen a couple names, but 
you know, I think it'll be a lot of fun. And, um, you know, anytime you can, well, for me, anytime you get a group of the catching people together, it's fun because we don't have such a giant, you know, there's not a thousand catching coaches out there. Right? It's a like band of brotherhoods 10, with you. And, yeah. you know, female, for lack of a better word, band of brotherhoods, because we have really good female catching coaches out there as well. Yeah. Um, I, I just like your guys' community. Um, I've said that, you know, going back a couple of years, like, don't change, guys. You know, catching Twitter, like, don't change. You guys have always been a really cool, tight community that is not divisive in any way. I just think you guys are a good example of, of how you can – Grow, yeah. grow as a collective unit. Maybe not everybody has the same ideas of how to do it, but it's there's not that infighting that you see with some of the other groups. No, it definitely doesn't have the um, this is the only way to do it kind of mentality. Um, I think sometimes it gets a little bit close to that, but it, I don't think it is. And uh, I think just the more people that you have that are trying to help each other and shoot, that's that's how i mean over the last four or five years that's kind of how it's been um and now you're getting some really young bright coaches out there that are kind of hopping on to that zach and some of the others like the amount of tech that they use and their ability to um write it out and and show the work i mean it pushes all of us and uh you know there's there's times where you can we have such unique players that come in you need to know how to use a, a one knee stance. You need to know all of those pieces. You need to know how to not necessarily the same way we teach, but um, you know, sweep and push the ball through. You need to know some of those other things. And um, that's how these conferences can really be helpful towards, uh, especially this niche position. Um, you know, you're never going to have the magic bullet with like game calling or some of these other things, but we can certainly get, a really good uh, fundamental base with the catching stuff. And in a, at a conference like ABCA, like that's the perfect place to, to, to do it. Cause you're going to see everybody and you can actually ask those questions. I think those have been my favorite clinic talks over the years of the catching guys. Cause they always bring really good stuff and being at schools where you didn't always have a catching coach. I was fortunate to be around some really good catching coaches, but there's a lot of guys out there that don't have that luxury of having a catching coach. You can pick up a lot of really good information that's going to help your catchers. I think so. And honestly, selfishly, when for anybody that's in the pro game, we want the youth and amateur catching coaches to be as versed as we are. Right. I mean, we're always, we're always told that you should be training people to take your job because it's only going to push you further but we also would like athletes to come in with a, you know, a better baseline. And the more that we can get those guys to, uh, to know and have access to, to all the, all the information, um, both the data and then kind of just the luxury that we have, cause we have, you know, a bigger budget, um, shoot, it's only going to make our athletes in the future better. Uh, so there's zero downside for me for sharing, information i mean you talked about tom earlier i mean that would be the one thing not one thing that would be a major thing that he's always taught me was like give it away man just you know don't hide it don't sell it necessarily but just get it out there because then you know others are going to be better you're going to get pushed to be better and that's kind of how i go about I mean, all of the stuff that I, that I've had over the years and, and it, I had it, no problem. It's a karma it. thing too. Like what you put out there is going to come back to you. If you put good stuff out there or you're willing to share like that, that comes back to you in a positive way. For sure. And it, I mean, it, the easy thing would be to try to monetize all of it. And I don't just, it doesn't always sit with me that that is the best thing because I want some kid in Peru <laughs> who wants to learn something like the habit. I don't care, you know. Now, percentage of guys that you get that come into the system that have been allowed to call their own game? Uh, it's small. It's small. It, it, it might be in a summer league or with my travel ball team. You know, I didn't get it here, but I got to do it there. Uh, there it doesn't matter. I mean, it's like it's like driving a car. You don't go hop in a race car on, on a racetrack on the first day 
and because you know how to drive a car, like you're going to be fine. So the game calling piece, uh, I mean, I'm sitting actually here at my house. I have tons of envelopes, you know, of signs. So I'm making the signs for next year and the rotation of signs. So we might have 30 different sets of rotation, rotating signs. Like you got to be able to not only plan a game, understand all the hitters and the pitchers. Now you got to put this into play too. And remember, is that, uh, is that so consistent I, from rookie ball up to the big league level? Is it the same sign sequence? So those same 30 sets of signs, is that going to be the same uh, for everybody? I would, I, I think if the, if a kid played in college, he, he'll know how to use signs yeah. much more than uh, a regular pro player. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you have to worry they, about they it. They're way the, less complex. I will tell you that it is a lot less complex. Um, it was tiring, you know, having to worry about guys stealing signs like that wore you out as a coach of how many different sign sequences you had to work on. And that's why a lot of guys went to the number system to relay it in. And guys are using it now where they're running it straight to the pitcher, like because there's so much sign stealing going on. Guys are trying to find a way for it to be efficient so the hitter doesn't know what's coming. No, it's, yeah, it I mean, that's the whole point, right? <laughs> I mean, the, we might use three to four different sign systems for every pitcher that day, yeah. and you just rotate. And you see it now, guys, are, you're unapologetic. You just like, hey, go yeah. to the first one. Go to the yes. second one. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Some, sometimes the first one and the third one are the same thing. Yeah. You don't even have to change the signs, yeah. but it puts the hitter off or the, the runner at second off for two pitches, and then you can switch it up for the next batter. It's, yeah. We don't – I can promise you there's probably only of those – whatever uh three or four of them that are even like yeah maybe this one we should save for somebody might get it a little bit more but there's no shame in using second sign if you're using last sign or you're using chasing the two or strikes plus one i mean there's no magic to it it's just you have to use a million different sign systems and then they just can't get it yeah, body touches. Same I mean, thing goes with yeah, body touches. We, uh, there's just a lot of different things that you can use with it. We use different ones for like even first and thirds. Like everyone's first and third third signs are generally the same, right? It's going to be here, here, here. And if you just switch them up a little bit, that one time you actually need them, you don't have to. You know, they're not going to get it, yeah. and they're not going to take an extra base on you or whatever. It's it's just that we get. I feel like we. As a, as a coaching community feel like the kids don't get it, but we have to teach them, yeah. you know, and there is a learning curve to understanding signs the same way. There is a huge learning curve to picking up tips and to get the signs at second base. Like, you have to learn it. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time, I think, yep. you know, and, and if you make that part of your day, um, two minutes of your day, I mean, it'd be very simple just to go, here's the signs for these next couple of days. Let's go through them real quick. And maybe the, maybe the pitchers then understand them. They don't miss it. You know, we, we spent so much downtime, you know, cause pitchers have a lot of downtime, you know, at times where even like during BP or during practice, they had set sign giving to their partner, their pitch partner. So they would do it and they do it every day. So we didn't really miss a lot of signs just because they were giving them to each other every day, like for brief, because there's going to be some times rather than shagging or standing around, right. get, get with your partner and go through the signs. Honestly, the, the pitchers not shagging is at first was really like, we did it a long time ago. It was weird and you felt like separated a little bit, but they were able to get a lot more done. And I think that's a perfect time. Um, you don't need 25 guys out there. You can have, you can do four and get about the same amount of work or that, you know, well, at your done. level at the college level, you take BP a lot, I mean, BP eats up a lot of your time. So if you're making your pitchers shag for that, they're losing a lot of development time that they could be doing other things, whether it's PFP, I don't care. Like there's a million things that pitchers can be doing fielding bunts off a machine with the bunners. Like there's a million things you can have your pitchers do that are going to help them be better outside of just pitching that costs you games. If a pitcher throws a ball away, a pitcher throws a pick away, pitcher doesn't understand the signs. Those are all things that lose you games. So, you know, and and rather than be upset that they're not getting it right, give them multiple opportunities to, to get it right, to work on it. 
couldn't agree more. I, I just, you know, the, the argument at the very beginning was there was going to be dissension between the hitters and the pitchers. And there is less communication because that was a great place where everybody would communicate and you would talk about things. You just have to do it in a different way now. Yeah. And it's just like, it's no big deal. You just have to do it in a different, different time frame, um, or in a different place, but you can just schedule a meeting, Yeah. you know, schedule a 10 minute meeting and you'll get more done in that than you did in BP anyways. So, you know, I think, I think a lot of the, you know, quote unquote, new things, they're just smarter. Like, it's, it's working smarter, working yeah, a lot smarter. More efficient. 20 guys. Yeah. More efficient. As a, I shag more as a, now than I ever have in my whole life, you know? But those guys are doing their work. Yep. They don't. What are they? They, they don't need me. Nope. Like, I'll go pick up a ball and get it back. You know, the coaches. We do. We do a ton of shagging. Yeah. We do more shagging than the players because we got to get them off their feet. Yeah. So it's just smarter. It's smarter for them. You know, they can still get their reps in and make it really efficient. Um, and if they want to stay out there longer, great. If they don't, get off. You know. Do you have It'll a do something more useful? You have a favorite memory from this summer? Uh, well, just those guys winning. That was my favorite thing. I'm just close with so many people that are affected by them, them winning. So that was my favorite thing. I mean, I got to spend a ton of time with my family because I normally am on the road. Um, you know, so that's been great and it's going to be really hard when I start to travel again. Uh, but you know, my hope is guys get a little recharge from it. I think this will extend some coaching careers because I think guys will get a little bit of a recharge from it. Now we need to get back going and we need everything to get back to normal. You know, but it, I th hopefully this gave guys a little chance to recharge the batteries a little bit. The guys have been doing it a while. I also think that it puts in perspective what we miss as coaches. Um, you miss your family. You know, you miss, I mean, I've got to hang out with my son and my daughter my god so much this year and we got to do a whole bunch of great things together um that we'll never forget and i hope that people who work crazy like myself sometimes like just take the time off take a day off the day doesn't matter you know i don't think that one rep or that one phone call or that one email or it, it'll be there tomorrow you know and I think that we can still accomplish and be great. Like you said, you're going to be more fresh. Why not? Um, and honestly, for a few years, this is not going to be where we have the same amount of days to do everything, you know, just realistically. Um, so use that time that you're working like really wise. And then when you're not, man, like who cares? It'll be there tomorrow. You know, and I think, I think it'll be good for a lot of coaches that were close to the burnout or that we're you know, having trouble in other areas. Like this is good. Yep. Yeah. I, I always maybe, try to stress maybe. that to, to people <laughs> like when it's time to work, work, but when it's time to not work, don't work, like get away from it. Even if it, that's an hour of where you're just doing something else and not focused on it, it just, it keeps you fresher over the long haul. If you can do that, that's really hard yeah. to do at times. It is. But if you can just completely check out, even if it's for an hour here and there, you're going to be way better and way more productive for it. You'll work way better. I am very guilty of that. I will come and yeah. sit at this desk to do stuff and not always get everything I wanted done and still waste the same amount of time. Yeah. So why not just knock it out and then get out, yeah. you know, and like these signs, instead of me trying to rush through it at the beginning of spring training, I'm going to get, you know, 75 sets of each one of these signs so I can put them at all the affiliates and the Dominican. I'm just going to do it over the next two months. Yep. I can do one set of signs every two days and it'll be fine. No big deal. Well, it's not as daunting so. for those guys then. I mean, if, if a couple trickle in here and there rather than you have 30 of them right in a row or whatever, like yeah. then it's not as daunting for those guys either. No, it'd be, it's going to be fine. Yeah. You know, it's all going to be fine. Hopefully. What are some, <laughs> what are some final thoughts you got? Oh man, I don't know. I'm, I'm thankful you asked me to be on here. Um, and by the way, I thanks really to you enjoyed. for when I'd see you in San Diego, cause you'd set up some workouts for me here and there that I could watch guys. So thank you for yeah. that. Of course. Of course. I don't know. I, I think it's just fun. We've known each other. I don't even know 
close to 20 years yeah. probably now. And um, I get to see you once every so often and get to talk to you like this. It's great. And um, I think with the cool thing about being a coach is that you're not pigeonholed to one thing and um, you know, seeing your, your time going from Iowa to Western to now at EBCA and everyone else is kind of scattered. And then, you know, I think it's cool that we have a, like a, a group of dudes that, and ladies now that, um, you know, you can, you can talk to and have different experiences with, and it's cool. It, there's so many, so, so many people that, that don't have that. So I think we're lucky. Yeah. I don't ever take that for granted. Like I, I, I do really cherish the relationships that I have with so many different people that are, just add value to my life as a person uh, and genuinely pleased to see people and get to communicate because it doesn't happen very often. But when you do, it's like, okay, we're right back running where we were before. And it just, it means the world yeah. to me. And it's, I, I agree. And I think that's, you're much more apt to uh, you're going to do favors for those guys. You know, if they need something like you've come into town, shoot, it's easy to set something up. Yeah. And uh, you're happy to do it, you know, because you, you get to you get to help out somebody else, which, you know, in this our serve to lead mantra, that's like a, a huge thing. So, you know, whenever we can help someone else and be selfless with it, that's the way it should be. All right, perfect. Well, thank you. Have a great holiday season and looking forward to seeing you. You too, Ryan. All right. Thanks. Episodes like this are great reminders to me of how fortunate I am to have coached and continue to be a part of the baseball community. I met Ryan when I first got to Iowa, and we've continued to keep our friendship going. It's so easy to root for guys like Coach Sienko. He's always willing to help the baseball community. I love the advice that he got from Townhouse to give it away. I'm a huge believer in karma, and whatever you put into the world, good or bad, eventually comes back to you. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.